Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. This burrito is delicious, but it is filling. That was a terrific little spill. That's quite a raspberry. That's my chopper you just thrashed, bros of. Easy, compadre. I'm your friend out here, all right? I want you to fix my chopper before I stomp your goofy If you want to throw down in fisticuffs, fine. I've got Jack Johnson and Tom O'Leary waiting for you, right here. You destroyed the only thing I love. All right, there it is. What do you love? I love poetry and a glass of scotch and, of course, my friend Baxter here. Well, guess what? Now this is happening. Excuse me. Excuse me. What are you doing? That's how I roll. Baxter. Huh? No! Michael Preston. I don't know what Washington State took of UCLA's that they love. However, it must have been something to have deserved the butt-kicking they received from about the middle of the third quarter on and just a horrific state of god-awfulness and horribleness and from... God. God. In 19 minutes of football, UCLA scored 43 points. That is over two points per minute. Wow. I am Michael Preston. Cameron from the Utah Man Podcast going to join us to come talk about the Utah Utes. And another team... Boy, for as good as this t- game seemed <laughs> last week when we were talking to you, uh, it is not even remotely close to that anymore. But we will talk to Cameron, get his thoughts on the Utes uh, in this upcoming matchup down the Wasatch front this weekend. Uh, and as always, wonder the underhead of the week uh, and ask Michael anything. I, I, I really don't know what else there is left to say. It's at this point on, as we record this on a Tuesday night, 72 hours away, removed, excuse me, from kickoff of that game and 68-ish hours. I can't even say 69 and say nice. 68-ish hours after it ended, I don't feel much better. I don't feel any better about... And there is no beating around the bush on this. A historic collapse. And I would wager that as the number three, the third worst collapse in NCAA football history, it was not done to a, you know, there's been no worse team that has done the coming back. UCLA was 
epically bad coming into this game. They were averaging 14 points a game, lowest yards per play average in the conference, and they absolutely tore the crap out of Washington State in the final 19 minutes of that game. I I am at an absolute total and complete loss. It is baffling to me what happened. I, I, I honestly do not care if this defense is truly that bad. And I understand that they were not set up in some good situations. UCLA got short fields at times. But they also gave up a 94-yard touchdown pass. It's not like we're talking about exceptionally long fields. And again, a 50-yard drive. And again, I get that these passes and these fields were short. But in the third quarter, Dorian Thompson-Robinson averaged, and I'm doing the math very quick in my head here, 25 yards per pass. 25 yards per pass in the third quarter. And we all know what happened in that fourth quarter. It was like somebody took the, took the chalk out from behind an RV sitting on a hill. And you just had to watch it go downhill. You just had to watch it go downhill. The number of drives in this game is literally almost off the chart. You'll never see the drive chart as full as it was in the box score here. Just the sheer number of possessions each team had is mind-boggling. And I guess you would expect that when a game ends with a final score like it did. I believe that was a Pac-12 record for points in a game. But I guess as I sit here today, again, nearly three days removed from the end, and I'm, I'm still left to wonder how the hell it happened. Somebody on our Slack thread said, I can't remember it was on Sunday or whenever it was after the game, that there were a hundred things that needed to go wrong for what for that to happen and about 105 things went wrong you will never see this team fumble the ball turn it over six times in a game six times in a game six drives ended in a turnover and they still scored 63 bloody points that is mind-boggling they punted twice One drive ended on downs. But just the removal of that chalk and the RV barreling down the hill towards you. And what are you going to do? Wave your arms and try to clear people out of the way. That's about all you can do. UCLA's final 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 drives. We won't count their knees. Punt, punt, touchdown, 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 downs, touchdown. Including two drives of one play and, of course, the punt return. I mean, I... Two special teams, touchdowns, 
six turnovers. It, it Literally, whatever could go wrong went wrong. And I want to think of an excuse for it that, again, that that, that much will never go wrong again. But looking back on it, it was very clear to me that this was a team that got up 49-17 and started thinking about Utah. And started thinking that they had beat the crap out of a team from Southern California. I mean, I, I would have to look up it like, even if the final score was just 49-17, if Washington State has ever beaten UCLA that badly, I don't think so. But they got up by that much. UCLA scores. Roderick Fisher fumbles. UCLA scores again. And then Mike Leach punts from the UCLA 43 on 4th and 4. I, I, that, that was it. In retrospect, that was it. That was the end of the game right there. And I, I think I, I, I've thought about this or (laughs) tried not to think about this, but what little thought I have given it is that I don't know that I would be as upset if this game was back and forth the entire time. If it had been two teams trading blows for 60 minutes and that's how it ended up. And if maybe if UCLA was a better team than they are. But this just spiraled out of control. No coach could stop it. No player could stop it. No nothing. And I think that's what this game revealed most to me is that on that sideline, Mike Leach can can do whatever he wants to do, but a coach can only do so much to motivate. And I know we, we try to stay away from things you can't pin down with a number here, but there is no player on that sideline capable of rallying his team and of being a leader. You had at least three last year. In Gardner Minshew, Peyton Pelour, and probably Jalen Thompson, make a case for Hunter Dale as well. But you you had at least all of them. And it is so clear that there is no one over there capable of doing that, at least right now. Max Borgie might be the closest thing you have because after the game when he's talking about guys not taking ball security seriously, that's a Shot across the bow. That's an incredible shot across the bow. Because again, this 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 team was dominating. They were doing worse things to UCLA than I thought they were going to do. Nine touchdown passes for Anthony Gordon. Aesop Winston caught four of them. This team was running roughshod over them. And then just a little bit of adversity. And I don't know if Chip Kelly saw something or knew something or the players on UCLA's sideline knew something. But dang it, they were going to make a statement. They were going to come back against the number 19 team in the country in their house after being down by 32 points. And they were going to let the world know about it. And no one did anything to stop it. 
The defense couldn't tackle. You couldn't cover. They couldn't get pressure on Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Receivers couldn't hold on to the football. You couldn't even get replay reviews of Roderick Fisher's fumble to go your way. Kickoffs got retur- a kickoff got returned for a touchdown. Something we haven't seen in years. A punt gets returned for a touchdown. Again, two special teams touchdowns given up. It just literally like watching a car rust in a time-lapse video. And just disintegrating in front of you. I don't know truly if the offense is that good. Well, maybe we do. Because they they just ran roughshod over a team they should have run roughshod over. Even with the six turnovers. Just imagine if two of those disappear. They score 77 bloody points in a conference game. This this very well may be the best offense Mike Leach has ever had. Anthony Gordon is on his way to putting up historic numbers. I, I, I genuinely mean that. Like over 5,400 yards for the year he's on pace now. Max Borgie looks like exactly like the guy we thought he could be. Two catches for 80 yards, 15 rushes for 124. 204 yards of offense in that game. And I and I and I it, it, you can put the blame squarely on the defense if you want. I it's for me, it's everyone. Those timeouts don't work. Try to gather everyone to motivate everyone. And the coaches can do what, you know, whatever they want in that regard. You know, in terms of trying to motivate the players. But (laughs) someone's got to be a leader on that sideline. Someone has to step up and do it. Somebody has to in that situation. And nobody did. And that should be a team that, you know, you, okay, yeah, you allow them to score a couple of quick touchdowns and special teams, but get it back together and put your foot down and put them away. It's not like UCLA picked up a bunch of yards in the first half. But that's what worries me going forward. Is this a team that is just rudderless and is not able to in the face of something like that, get the ship righted. Because the next five games are a slog. Ranked Utah on the road. Unranked ASU now, but will be ranked maybe again. Oregon on the road. Colorado at home. That's not an easy one anymore either. And Cal on the road. You do that going into these five games. How can you believe... Maybe they show me differently. Maybe they do come back and they take care of business against Utah. But how do you look at this team the same way 
as you did against Houston. They faced a little adversity. They got punched in the mouth a little bit against Houston. Came back and only allowed, I think it was like three points up until that final Houston touchdown drive. But even that's not looking as good today as it was a week and a half or, you know, a week ago. This team has some serious issues that need to get fixed on defense and with leadership and with gap integrity and a whole lot of crap. And frankly, after this Utah game, that bye can't come soon enough. But you're going to find out a lot about this football team on Saturday. You're going to find out a lot about who they are and who they intend to be for the second half of the season. They can roll over and die. Or you can get up and take out that anger on Utah. And at least if you play well and don't win, you feel a little bit better about yourself. And I know at least I think, I would like to think that I would feel a little bit better. But how this team responds on Saturday in Salt Lake City is going to say a lot about who they are. Are they going to punch through this, get to bowl eligible, and at least try to compete for Pac-12 North title as distant a hope as that may be now? Is it at least the respect for yourself of getting through this and wanting to win and do all that because it just looked like you saw a team across the sideline last Saturday, saw that you beat the crap out of them and gave up. And you thought an awful lot of yourself. Can't really do that right now. And the one piece of credit I will give Mike Leach, well, I I give him plenty of credit, but when his teams get beat like that or take bad losses like that, he finds a way to turn them around. When they started 0-2 against Portland State and Boise State, I thought that season was lost. And then they came out, and I, you know they're not playing somebody as hard as Utah, but they waxed Idaho. Oh my God, did they take them to the woodshed? In 2016, when they lost to Eastern and then went to New Jersey and almost lost to Rutgers and won it on the final drive. Mike Leach has a way of getting his teams to play up and to flush that loss. Because I will say that is... And we've said this on the show before. That is the one nice thing about college students. They tend to have pretty short memories. I know I don't, unfortunately. Can you forget about Saturday to the extent that you don't play tight like you probably did down the stretch there trying to conserve that lead against UCLA? You don't play tight, you play loose, but you remember just enough the humiliation of that football game and you never want to experience it again. Can you remember that? I really, really hope so. Cam from the Utah Man Podcast is going to come up after the break here on the Kook Center Hour. Back here on the Coog Center Hour, we're now joined by Cam of the Utah Man Podcast. They cover everything BYU. No, I'm just kidding. They don't cover BYU. That would be I would hate it if anybody called me a Washington Huskies podcast. Wouldn't you? That, that's a that's not a great introduction, Cam. I'm I'm at the hip here, just like throwing out something desperate for approval. But you are the Utah Man Podcast representative we have, oh. and you cover the Utes, not the Cougars. 
Yeah, I would have to leave if that was the case. That would probably that no, I we would understand <laughs> that. And frankly, we have beef with BYU too. They use Go Cougs, a hashtag, and A, that was ours first. B, you never called yourself the Cougs. It was always the Cougars. And C, stop it. That's I mean, that's that's really I'm, the that's that's I'm our beef. I'm not surprised they still, they still everything. Oh, okay. Well, see, so yeah. but I'm, I'm not going to get an objective analysis from you on that, as I'm sure nobody would get an objective <laughs> analysis from me on Washington on that. Uh, Cam, Utah's first loss of the year to USC on Friday night. Uh, Matt Fink comes in, throws for 351 yards, and uh, Michael Pittman catches 232 of those yards and 10 of those passes. Uh, that really didn't go very well, did it? No, and that's the most disheartening thing. Utah's tenth in the country. They're they're favored to go into USC into the Coliseum where they've never won, mm-hmm. and they just kind of laid an egg, especially on defense, where you think that Utah's strength is on the defensive side of the ball, and you know that secondary just just couldn't hang with them. Mm-hmm. What was it? Was it an issue of? I I think we talked about this a little bit. Uh, before we start recording here, but it, it was Utah was trying to man up those receivers, and it, it was just not going. I, you know, like I think you mentioned, you know, Matt Fink was throwing up some prayers, but it, it really was USC out athleting that secondary a little bit. Oh, that's exactly what it came down to, and, and really, you know, Utah played man the whole time. They they tried to run um, some some pump, uh, some pump coverage at, at the line of scrimmage and. And they got burned on them a couple times, and really just comes down to USC. They had some issues, but they still have a lot of talent that you got to respect. And mm-hmm. and I think Utah maybe just didn't respect their their throw game as much as they should have. Boy, that sounds familiar from the weekend. Um, <laughs> um, I, kind of an overall, you know, we're a third of the way through the season now, uh, Cam, and it uh, Utah's three and one. I don't know that the playoff door is completely shut. Um, Utah could run the table and get lucky a little bit, but wh- how much thought was there um, amongst the Utah faithful about the playoff before the season? Because I saw we, I think we all saw Lee Corso pick them to be in the playoff uh, before that week zero, uh, those week zero games. But was that really a kind of a pervasive thought? Because I, I, I kind of thought Utah would be good, but playoff seemed like a that that seemed like a really big pipe dream. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think a lot of Utah fans kind of thought that that maybe the playoffs were just a little out of out of the reach if Utah could have a really special season and run the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that just the, the fact that they were in the discussion is what really got Utah fans excited about it, and to be able, you know, to have that special season and still be talked about as a playoff team, you know, halfway through and even towards the end of the season, mm-hmm. that's what people really wanted around here. And then, you know, first game of, in conference, it's it's pretty deflating uh, with this fan base. And, you know, a lot of people even think that now even winning the Pac-12 uh, championship is is a, is, is a longer shot than they thought before mm-hmm. the season started, uh, which is always it. The Pac-12 is always going to be a difficult conference to win. Just heck, everyone just eats up on each other. It doesn't matter who you are. You could be, I don't know, maybe at UCLA and go into Pullman and then pull something out. Like, you just never know with this league, but mm-hmm. but it is a little deflating not to not to be in the playoff picture anymore. Yeah, Zach Moss um, obviously has been the highlight of this offense uh, for a while now. I know I've been pretty wowed by his skill and his talent. He got hurt in that USC game, and I think Kyle Whittingham was kind of evasive um, in his press conference earlier this week. He said it wasn't a season-ending injury, but he didn't exactly give a timeline 
for when Moss would be back. Are you expecting him on the field on Saturday? It didn't it seemed like that injury was significant enough that um, he would not be there this weekend? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not counting on him. And, and like you said, Winningham, he doesn't talk about injuries unless they're season-ending. Uh, so not a lot of information is out there. Just a little chatter here and there. Uh, you know what I'm hearing is it could be a, a sprained AC in, in his shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, I mean, Utah has Washington State and then a bye and then Oregon State. But I, I think people are, are maybe looking more towards Oregon State in a few weeks. Right. So give yeah right. Take the game off, then get the bye week, and then uh, Corvallis in Corvallis or in so yeah up in Corvallis. Um, so instead of Zach Moss, let's talk about some of the other talent at running back. And if I'm counting correctly, let's take Tyler Huntley out of it because he is the quarterback with Moss. Seven guys rushed the football for Utah on Friday. That is their modus operandi on offense, is it not, Cam? Is to run the football. Oh, that's that's what that's what or that's what Winningham brought Andy Ludwig in to do was to run the ball, and they love doing it. I mean, not only do they have their running backs uh, doing it, but they have a lot of wide receivers uh, with the Jalen Dixon or, or Vickers, or even a Brent Covey kind of get in the running game. Mm-hmm. So what's the plan then if Zach Moss doesn't play? Is it to kind of do this by committee, so to speak? Because I, I think we saw that a little bit. Or is it to kind of try to pick someone um, like Devin Brumfield that should be the primary running back uh, come this week? No, I think it's really going to be by committee, and I think just because that's what we've seen so far this mm-hmm. season when Moss um, hasn't been in. You know, coming out of out of fall camp, Jordan Wilmore, true freshman, was the number two guy. Uh, but and then we saw this last in the last game, Devin Brumfield, as you said, got the majority of the carries. Uh, and even the game before that, we saw Devontae Henry Cole get the majority of the carries. So I, I kind of think that's where they're going. Is they're going to go with committee and kind of ride with the guy that, that's having the, the hot hand. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Tyler Huntley uh, a little bit. I feel like he's been at Utah for like 15 years. Um, kind of the same situation with Travis Wilson. I, th- I thought Travis Wilson actually like had a family and like retired at Utah. He was there for so long. Um, what has have you guys seen from him in his senior season maybe that um, you hadn't seen before and that you, you, he's really improved here in 2019 compared to previous seasons so far? You know, I think it comes down to the accuracy, and I think that just comes down to how he's preparing uh, for each and every game. Mm-hmm. I know when he was younger, uh, maybe he wasn't in the field room as much as he should have been, um, and, and he got in some trouble that way out in the field. And I think really becoming a, a more seasoned uh, a player uh, here at Utah, I think he's kind of taken – you know, more of that emphasis to, to be more prepared off the field. Uh, and I think it, 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 it's paying dividends for him uh, this season. He's, he's throwing a, a tremendous uh, accuracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he went 22 of 30 against USC for a little over 200 yards. Uh, so, so I think definitely just, just his, his preparedness that he's doing off the field is really helping him so mm-hmm. far. Yeah, no, so far no uh, interceptions. Interceptions. Uh, so far this season. It's a podcast. We can edit that. I will not do that. Uh, who does he... You, you mentioned uh, the running back by committee and some talent at receiver. Um, do you think anything... We'll go back to Moss for a minute. Nothing probably changes offensively for Utah in this game without it. They'll they'll continue to do it by committee and they'll continue to kind of 
run things the way they expect. And and if you could kind of like an overview of that offense for folks who may not know. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously with Utah, it's a new offense every single season. It seems like there's a new OC coming through. And so now Utah has an, an old OC who they had back in the Mountain West and Andy Ludwig. And also in Pac-12 fans would know his name up at Oregon um, a while back. But with, with Andy coming in, it's a lot more of a traditional offense, a lot more downhill running, power running, uh, that I think Whittingham really wants to run. Uh, but one element that he's been throwing in is, is that fly sweep mm-hmm. uh, and, and the option off of that. And I think really that's been helping Utah kind of get to the edges uh, where they've struggled in years past. They'll have those those speedsters, a, a wide receiver, just come straight down the line and get and get that ball. It's really been helping them. They haven't thrown the ball tremendously a lot mm-hmm. this season. I mean, the first three games, BYU, Northern Illinois, and Idaho State, they really didn't throw the ball very much. Uh, I think Tyler threw it for 30 times against USC, and obviously they had to throw a little bit more because they were behind. Uh, but you're not going to see a Utah team throw the ball over the field mm-hmm. like your Cougars in Washington State. Yeah. Defense is certainly the hallmark of a Kyle Whittingham team, Cam. And how have they been performing so far this year? I think they did pretty well against BYU, uh, Northern Illinois, and Idaho State. Struggled a bit against USC. But overall, if you had to give, say, a letter grade to their performance in the 2019 season, what would you say uh, you would give them? That that one's hard because... If I can separate it out, I, I think I think with the, the the line and the linebackers, definitely an A. You know, with guys like Bradley and I and Lecky both two up on the line, that's just been playing outstanding. And then the secondary, who I who a lot of people thought would be a strength for them, really didn't show up against USC as we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, probably a, a B on the season, or even a B minus for them on the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but you're right. The, the defense is the strength of Utah. That's where Kyle Winningham wants to win games uh, with, is with the defense. And that D-line, I mean, preseason they were ranked number one in the country by a lot of media outlets, and they're living up to it. They're, they're playing really well. We always like to talk about it, and you mentioned it a little bit because this is a passing uh, offense at Washington State. Are you worried at all about how the Utah secondary is going to hold up against Washington State, given what happened to them in L.A. last weekend? So I think always going Utah always going against Washington State, it always gives, it always gives me and Utah fans concern. <laughs> what happened last week with USC, I think, increased that by tenfold. The secondary just did not show well last week last week and it mm-hmm. wasn't the matter of just mental errors uh, bad scheming guys just got open it was really USC just went toe to toe and whenever the ball was up in the air USC went up and got it mm-hmm. so that does have a lot of concerning uh, for Utah hopefully they'll you know they'll make some adjustments off of seeing that film what USC did and knowing what what Washington State can do but definitely as, as a Utah fan it's always frightening to go up against a Mike Leach offense 7 o'clock Pacific, 8 p.m. My goodness, uh, that's as late as I've... I think the San Jose State game last year in Pullman was that late, but 8 o'clock uh, on Saturday in Salt Lake City on FS1. Uh, Cam, when the final gun goes, it probably... God, I hope not super late again. But <laughs> when it does sound uh, a prediction for a score for me, if you will. Oh, I think this is going to be a very close game. 
Um, you know, we are expecting some weather. Uh, it's supposed to be kind of rainy and windy. No, don't, no, 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 don't, no, God, no, don't tell me that. Yeah. Oh, God. So, so I, honestly, I, I, Utah fans are, are normally, you know, we don't want rain in our special stadium, but going against an air raid offense, I think that can help Utah more than it will hurt them. Mm-hmm. So with that, and these games are always so close. Last year, it seemed like it just came down to one big play, and this tackle was the difference in the game. Uh, a couple of seasons ago, Utah went up 21 nothing in the first quarter, and then Washington State just ran away with it. So they've been really entertaining, a lot of fun. I think Utah gets it, though. I'm going to go 24-21 Utah. I'd love some more points, but it seems like a fair assessment to me. Uh, Cam from the Utah Man Podcast at utahmanpodcast.com. Go ahead and give them a listen this week, guys, so we can uh, learn a little bit about the Utes. Cam, thank you for your time, sir. Appreciate it. Hey, no worries. Thanks for having me on. Our thanks again to Cam from Utah Man Podcast for joining us to talk about the Utes. Again, that website, utahmanpodcast.com. His show will be up on Wednesday as well, and you might hear a familiar guest. Episode, or interview swaps are just really easy when you're doing podcasts. Um, I want to touch on something. We are usually way behind stuff uh, on this podcast, and that's because there's other stuff to talk about. But I do want to talk a little bit about that law in California that passed recently uh, giving student-athletes the right to profit off of their likeness which would basically it, it would it would clear the way for NCAA football to return for the Xbox and your various gaming devices but it would be what it would basically also allows for students to you know get a sponsorship deal with a car dealership or Gardner Minshew to actually make money off of those t-shirts with his likeness on them uh, and all that other good jazz um I, I I know there's been a lot of pushback and I know you know there's also the issue of you know, California schools aren't going to stop giving those kids scholarships if that law is enacted and, you know, they, they stand to make some money so it's not exactly fair for the rest of the country and yada, yada, yada. Um, but I, I want to caution against something in this regard and that is that anybody thinking this is going to move very fast. It is not in the NCAA's best interest for this process to move quickly. It is in the NCAA's best interest for this process to move quite slowly. They will inevitably file a lawsuit to keep the law from being enacted. They will inevitably do everything they can to drag it out in court, to drag it as far along as they can, because as we all know, the NCAA is best served by these student-athletes remaining as such and remaining as quote-unquote amateur athletes. So no, I don't I don't think anything's going to drastically change here in the next year or two or I mean really maybe even five years. But really what this is doing is it is forcing the NCAA to come to that reckoning that eventually this is going to happen. Whether they really want it to or not. And I mean clearly they do not want it to. But this is this is going to come to roost. These players are going to be given the right to earn money off of their likeness. So as we've talked about in the past when it comes to player compensation on this show, I don't, I don't think it's any one person's job to come up with the, with you know the specific system and how things would work and 
come up with all the details. The important thing is, is that there is inequity in the system right now. That yes, while what the players receive is something very good for them, you know, in, in, in terms of a free education, I think we all know that the, you know, the quote unquote value of a college education is not necessarily the dollar amount attached to it. It is more in the quality in terms of the classes you attend and everything else um, that goes into it. And as much as you put into it, and many of these players are steered into easier course loads uh, so that they can focus on their performance on sports better. And there's also the, you know, say an education's worth $80,000. Well, it's really hard to, you know, when Wazoo's charging as much of as a semester as they need to, you know, what really goes into that number since we're covering expenses at the university. So is it quote unquote worth $80,000 a year? Or is it really just worth that because that's what the university needs to do to cover expenses? And maybe that's what makes it worth that much. But I think what you're going to see is eventually down the road, the NCAA is going to have to make rules about this because you you can't just let the California schools be the only ones that can offer this because this it, it needs to be system-wide. You need to allow all the schools the ability to do this. And I, I think it's the California legislature and the California governor forcing their hand. We're not going to get into the politics of it at all. And I mean, we kind of are already wading into it and we try to avoid it on this show, but I still think inherently it is very difficult to avoid politics in all facets when you're talking about sports. But at least in this case, we'll try our best here. And I think it it is just something that is now going to happen. The system has been this way for over a century. And although it was fairer many decades ago, it still wasn't completely fair. But it especially is not totally fair now and you can point out that you know these players have a choice they don't have to go and do this you're right but the schools do this and 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 the nfl uses the ncaa and the nba to a much lesser extent uses the ncaa as a kind of minor league to develop talent for their professional leagues same thing goes for major league baseball though that that is a to the leastest extent that's a real word leastest because Major League Baseball has a very robust talent development system built in. Um, so I, I think that that whether you want this to happen or not, it is going to. This is coming down the pipe eventually. It can't stay this way for forever. You're going to have ex-players with savvy enough lawyers or even current players with savvy enough lawyers who are going to figure out a way around this. Because although... I agree that what makes college sports great is that you're really playing for the name on the front of the jersey and not the back and we can all get behind it and yada, yada, yada. This is still a society where we say that you need to be paid what you are worth. And if these kids are not being compensated in such a way that they are getting the value out of what they are worth, then that is not correct. Now, I'm not saying that, and I've said before, that I would be uncomfortable with a system where the school pay these kids directly. I do mean outside of their living stipend. And I also acknowledge, and Jeff wrote a great piece at the beginning of the season, where that is the inherent messiness of everything we are in here. I know that my passion for Washington State, although greatly reduced after this weekend, albeit temporarily, I hope, this past weekend, 
it would go down if what was happening was the pay- players are just being paid directly. I, I, I know that about myself. But I also know that it is not fair for me to just say, well, I wouldn't enjoy it as much, so it can't be this way. Mike Leach makes over $4 million a year. Chris Peterson makes over $4 million a year. And I have a hard time with them supervising students who don't make any money. They get something for free, but they don't make any money. And I think that's a big difference. You're getting an education paid for, but you are not being paid. The compensation is something that, again, like we discussed a couple of minutes ago, what is its real intrinsic value, especially today where so many jobs at a bare minimum require a college education? It's, it's, it's not like even just a 15 to 20 years ago where many jobs did not require a college education. Maybe I'm incorrect on that. I wasn't exactly in the job market at the age of 10 or 11, but my impression has been that it was not as big of a requirement even that recently. So th- this is this is just I, I think it's kind of the first kind of the, you know the first explosive to go off in the demolition of this system. I can't think of a better analogy uh, than that, but it, it really is and I, and I know there is actually a good analogy for it, but it is it's the it's, it's the first dom- it's, it's the first domino to fall. The NCAA will do everything they can to keep it from hitting the second domino for as long as they can. But really, that's just delaying the inevitable at this point. And I know there will be issues with Title IX and other problems, but they can all be worked out. I, I, I really do believe that. The NCAA just needs someone or a group smart enough to do that, and we can all doubt that because they are the NCAA. But this is a thing that is going to happen, and I think schools will be very wise to figure out a way to handle that and to best align themselves to be prepared for it. Especially at schools like Washington State, Oregon State, low revenue institutions that already have a difficult enough time covering the cost of attendance. Now, this is outside of that, but I think we can all agree that, you know, endorsement deals, I, I don't think you would ever find anything quite like Gardner Minshew last year, but. Maybe Chipman and Taylor Chevrolet could really use Jihad Woods to sell a truck. Or Jake Luton really wants to sell potato salad. I mean, really, that, that's that's the route you're going down here. And I, you know, I get the, you know, it would be hard to police and all that other stuff, but there's already enough going on on the back end, guys, that are, in, you know, in the shadows that the NCAA is not catching. It comes down to just hiring more people to enforce this stuff. Because if the NCAA really, really wanted to do something about it, they could. I really think that. But they know it like we know it. And that this kind of stuff is happening everywhere. And I don't care what any UW fan says. Chris Peterson does it. I don't care what any Wazoo fan thinks. Mike Leach does it. Everybody does this stuff. So why not just make it above board, finally? Kids can pay taxes on it then, too. Maybe. I don't know. There's more of that political discussion. Dunderhead of the Week. Ask Michael anything. Coming up here next on the Kook Center app. 
Thunderhead of the week time. Was blessed enough on Monday to have a boss who cut us loose early on a pretty dreary day, pretty quiet day, so we all got to head home a little early. And I work in downtown Seattle, and as you know, the West Seattle Studios is where the Cook Center Hour is located, our West Seattle Studios. Uh, so I take the bus because it is easy and cheaper than parking. And somehow leaving the office at 2 o'clock on a Monday took longer than any commute home to this home I have had since starting this job. Because the bus got stuck behind a bus that broke down. And then as we headed into South Seattle, as the bus is now doing, down 4th Avenue to turn right onto Holgate to cross the train tracks, there was a train just stopped over the tracks for 25 minutes waiting for another train to come by and then when that one did and the one that was blocking the tracks left we saw it was blocking the intersection by three cars three train cars Burlington Northern Santa Fe my dunderhead of the week the train just sat there for 25 minutes in the middle of the day on a Monday. People were literally crawl. You're not supposed to do this, but pedestrians were literally crawling over it to get to the other side of Holgate. And I just got to sit there and twiddle my thumbs. It took me an hour and 20 minutes to get home that day. When I left the office at 2. Oh my dear God, it normally takes 40 to 45. And like, like a bad day, it takes an hour. Oh, don't park your trains like that. Please do not. Especially when all I want to do is get home and sleep because I had an awful night of sleep on Saturday and Sunday. And I just want my pillow and my mattress and my podcast producers. They're very fuzzy and very clingy when we've been gone. It's very sweet. Ask my client. I love being home with them right after. They're all cuddly and they just want to be near you and lay on you and they're fuzzy and fun to pet. I'm talking about a cat. I'm talking about a cat. Ask Michael anything time. We tried to go no questions about the thing SSFC footy 13 DJ dirty paws why can't we have nice things I don't know and it got that was a horrible sports weekend Wazoo gets humiliated UW wins Seahawks lose Sounders lose oh my lord for our Portland friends did Portland win at least I like I don't even know like good god what an awful sports weekend. At G underscore Garretson, Garrett Garretson. Will this be the year we make it to the Las Vegas Bowl? Boy, at this point, that's a distinct uh, distinct possibility. Is not That's the number six bowl, I think. And it's the week before Christmas, so it might be relatively cheap to get there. Maybe. I don't know. We'll find out. 
at pcornwell09. Patrick Cornwell, remember the, when you sang one game at a time on your podcast in 2017? Then we promptly lost to Cal on Friday the 13th. Good times. I had completely forgotten about that. I thought that was some of my like most creative podcasting, too. That's... Oh, boy. At Jake Truckstick. Truckstick, what is the ultimate Kuget? I mean, if we're going to use that term. Last Saturday's got to be up there, right? Although, as our own Kyle Sherwood would point out, it's probably Mike Price losing to Idaho twice in a row. That's not very good. Oh, boy. At Philip Maz. Philip Mazurik. What's the best press box food you've ever had? Ooh. The catering uh, the Seahawks had uh, when Wazoo played some games in Seattle was pretty good. Uh, and then Martin Stadium's really the only other one I've been to frequently. They have really good food in the press box at Martin Stadium. At least they did when I was there. Low-key, the worst I've ever had, though, was UW. Back before the stadium remodel, when the when the press box was literally, like, bolted to the roof and he had to walk a gantry to, like, get to it. They had, like, you remember, like, those chicken sandwiches you got when you were a kid in elementary school? Like, with the weird chicken patty just between two hamburger buns? That was pretty much what they had. That was pretty much it. Yeah, it was it was it was a disaster zone. Actually, uh, also the University of Idaho had really good food. They had meatballs and salad. It was really good, really really good. Although that could just have me have been you know like twenty at the time and just willing to take whatever food was good. At only at Wazoo, only at Wazoo. Do you use salmon for fish tacos? No, I don't. I use generally any white fish is good for me. I use tilapia a lot. I know it's not like the best flavor. Um, but if I'm just like pan frying it real quick and I'm just trying to put it in a taco, that's usually what I'll use. And I, I found it's okay for breading as well. I did a beer batter with it once, which was okay. But again, just to pan fry it and like put it in a fryer. Um, I've never used, I've never personally used salmon for a fish taco. It's really good. Halibut also, obviously very good. Um, but yeah, I usually use tilapia. Just a little, quick little uh, uh, tapatio on the outside some dill weed, uh, garlic powder, pepper, a little salt, uh, and then lay it down in a pan with some butter on each side, fry it for however long it takes to get cooked, and then put it in a tortilla so it gets nice and flaky with some lettuce, pico, or no, cabbage, pico, although I use lettuce most of the time because I'm at home, uh, pico, tapatio, again, hit it with that one more time, some avocado, and some sour cream, and a little cheese. That answer went on a lot longer than I thought it would, but I love taco and burrito questions, y'all. Utah 31, Washington State 28. Just not enough. Closer, but 3-2 and two into the bye. Got a lot of stuff they need to fix uh, if they want this season to be a success. We will see you next week on the Coop Center Hour.